Attack of the Final Girls is a podcast about the horror genre, so listener discretion is advised. Please check the show notes for specific content warnings for this episode. And of course, beware of spoilers. Welcome to Attack of the Final Girls, episode 11. I'm Juliet. I'm Teresa. And we are happy to be with you talking about horror films as we do. And today we are talking about a 2021 film called We Need to Do Something. Hulu exclusive, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It was distributed. I don't know if it was produced by Hulu, but it, it definitely like aired on Hulu first. So it was like a streaming original. Another product of pandemic times, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that would make sense, actually. Yeah. Which... It's perfect because it's, well, partially isolation horror. Partially, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, this this movie is actually many, many things, many types of horror, as we'll get into, uh, kind of many different subgenres intersecting in this one, which I like. Yeah, so many. Um, so this was Juliet's first watch through. Yes. And I had seen it one time before, so this is just my second time watching it, but I know that when I went into it the first time, I was like, I have no idea what to expect. Didn't know what was going on through like two thirds of the movie. But now that I paid attention more closely this time, I think it kind of like revealed itself to me a little bit sooner than it would have. I don't know. Did you have a point when you were like, okay, I get it? Yeah, I had several sort of points where I locked in with it throughout, like several points where I was like, is it this kind of movie? Oh, no, wait, it's this. Oh, no, wait, it's both. And (laughs) the theme of this movie is yes, and. (laughs) This movie is actually an improv. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yes, and. (laughs) Yeah, the entire movie only actually has um, four actors in it. And of those actors, you probably only know... Like, in terms of being mainstream, you probably only know one of them or two. I guess Pat Healy as well. What is this movie about, Juliet? This movie is about a family who gets stuck in a unusually large bathroom in a mid-century modern home during a tornado. And then, as we like to say, chaos ensues. <laughs> perfect. It's a perfect time to say that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it fits. Yeah. Just tiny, quick rundown on our cast of characters. There's actually five total characters. There's Melissa, who is the sister and oldest child, played by Sierra McCormick. You have Diane, her mom, played by Vanessa Shaw, who you might know from Hocus Pocus, which, random. (laughs) Um, Pat Healy, who plays Robert, the dad. We also have Lisette Alexis, who plays Amy, and she is Mel's girlfriend, Melissa's girlfriend. And then we have Bobby, played by John James Cronin, who's the youngest and the little brother. So everybody except for Amy is trapped in the bathroom. Right. We only see Amy by way of flashbacks and also hallucinations. So when I told Juliet, like, hey, you should watch this movie, I was like, it's got everything. It's got a queer love story. It's got witchcraft. It's got... 
I think I said something about tongues or monsters or something like that. Yeah. It's got isolation horror. <laughs> I was like, we have to watch it. So we put it on the schedule then. Also, it is an adaptation of a story by Max Booth III, which I always love to see adaptations. Although I didn't do my homework, I still haven't read the story. So I would be interested to see how that works. Yeah, I'm honestly excited to go read the story Yeah, after having seen it because I want to see... What he did on the page with it, as opposed to what they did on the screen and, you know, sort of what he was able to perhaps do on the page that they couldn't do on the screen Mm -hmm. because of budget or just, you know, the restraints of film, Mm -hmm. where the filmmakers took it in their own direction and where he kind of spun off in his own direction, too. Yeah, I did notice that the rating for this movie on IMDb is actually kind of low. It's like a four and a half out of 10. Um, I just looked while we were watching, but it was strange to me because one of the one of the things I wanted to bring up is that the biggest criticism that people had of this movie is that it does not effectively show how scary and claustrophobic it would be to be trapped with your family in a bathroom. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> See, I totally disagree yeah. with that take on it. It absolutely makes me as uncomfortable as it would be to actually be trapped in a bathroom. Absolutely. Not even, yeah. like, no matter how big that bathroom is. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I get that the average bathroom is much smaller than that, but giving... Honestly, giving the characters a little bit more room mm-hmm. to do things... Almost made it worse, mm-hmm. especially the dad. Like the way the dad stalked around that bath. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, he was the most horrifying thing in the entire movie. Is the father? Yeah, for so many reasons. Yeah. So let's kind of crack into that in terms of like all of the different scary things in the movie. I mean, obviously we've talked about the dad, but what else did you think was really like? what we like to say, the true terror. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Other than the dad. Oh, boy. Being stuck somewhere and being able to hear things but not see or perceive what's happening on the outside, like knowing there's a danger on the other side of a wall or a door that you're within reach of, but you can't actually see what it is. Mm -hmm. That's pretty terrifying. The snake bite thing is terrifying. I mean, like, snakes... I'm not somebody who's normally scared of snakes, but if you're stuck someplace with a venomous snake, that becomes pretty scary. (laughs) Let's see what else. I don't know. I mean, to me, it was just the whole, and we can get into this further, like, on the one hand, it's witchcraft gone awry, which is scary, but that part of the horror for me was less scary, and it was more scary for me to think of this almost as, like, a purgatory allegory, mm-hmm. uh, almost like the original Tales from the Crypt movie. Mm-hmm. And that's terrifying. Yeah. Like sort of knowing that you're in this state of limbo, but your fate has probably already been decided and nothing you're going to do within this state of limbo is going to change the outcome that has that you've already determined for yourself or that's already been determined for you. Yeah. Yeah, that was a thing. So the purgatory aspect of it was something that I definitely keyed on to a little bit earlier this time. I was trying to watch it through, you know, somewhat fresh eyes, even though I'd already seen it. Not try and, like, use my opinion at the end of the movie that I watched the last time to inform my watch through this time. But, yeah, the purgatory aspect of it was definitely... 
I mean, what could be more middling in terms of horror than to be dead and stuck with your family, who's all kind of at odds with one another, minus the younger brother. But also, maybe that's kind of why he exited yeah. the purgatory situation, which we can definitely talk about more. But what could be more scary than being in a, not a violent confrontation, but like at odds with the three people that you're closest to by proximity and also by blood stuck with no way out yeah so as the movie goes on like we're stuck in this bathroom the tree falls down chaos ensues but weird stuff starts happening oh yeah yeah like weirder than just trapped in a bathroom stuff like the snake Uh i mean this place i'm not exactly sure where it was but it looked like a fairly you know milk toast just regular place And I don't know if they, like, normally have rattlesnakes, but that was a thing I wanted to talk about, too. So I'll bring up this snake again later. But, like, weird stuff starts to happen. But you're not really seeing... You're kind of seeing the effects of, like, dehydration. And obviously the dad is DTing. Like, he's having some pretty bad withdrawal symptoms to the point... He has to be, in terms of functioning alcoholism, he has to be, like, a functioning enough alcoholic that he needs to have... It all the time. Otherwise, he's going to break down. But we're not really seeing hunger from them. Like, there's a little bit of desperation. but they And the little boy also is like, I'm hungry all the time. But kids kind of do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. They just do that. So, like, the purgatory aspect, I'm like, maybe that is the case. Because what if this family, like, transcended into a different dimension or whatever? Anyways, the purgatory aspect is definitely interesting. You know, I wonder with the little boy, with the brother, there was kind of this weird thing, this moment that I keyed in on that was adorable on the one hand, but I wonder if it means something more, perhaps, Mm -hmm. where they have this kind of exchange between Mel and her mother and her brother and they're talking about food and the brother says I want eggs and Mel kind of teases him and says only old people want eggs and she starts to tease him a little more and it's it's very cute and good natured like you almost wonder if it's going to be kind of a moment of more tension where he starts to say like mom don't let her say it don't let her say it And Mel starts to laugh and says, you're a little old man. You're a little old man. And it's very harmless and very, it, it becomes very sweet. It's kind of a moment that fakes you out because you almost think, ooh, like this is some tender point between the siblings or something like that. But I just wonder what that was about. Because I mean, on the one hand, like a precocious little kid, especially a precocious little boy, is sometimes characterized like, oh my gosh, you're like this tiny little old man. But (laughs) if we're taking this sort of purgatory approach to it, like, is there something else there? Like, is he, you know, a quote, old man, because he won't see old age, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of a thing? Like, is he exhibiting the traits of an older person, because we know he's never going to make it there? Yeah, definitely. One of the tougher scenes to watch in that movie is when he gets bitten by the snake. And I thought that in the case of the purgatory aspect of it, 
that is Mel's punishment is yeah, to watch, totally. you know, to watch her younger brother suffer and die from this snake bite because they can't get out of the room. I mean, even they couldn't before, but there's just no way now. And Mel has to sit there and watch and she struggles with it because she doesn't reveal until at least to her parents until after that, that she, you know, messed around with some magic and spells and maybe caused all of this bad stuff to happen. And now everybody's kind of paying for it. So she just has to watch with that knowledge all by herself, which seems like a slow form of torture Yeah, to like sit with that and just know that you caused it. To somebody who's uh, harmless. Yeah. Her brother's, like, totally harmless. And she just has to sit and watch him die from this, like, very painful snake bite. Well, that raises the question. Did she and Amy cause this? That's true. Or is this a young woman blaming herself and internalizing a lot of problems and trying to figure out... Uh, a new relationship with somebody who also is carrying a lot of baggage and problems like was all of it coincidental mm-hmm. or did they really cause it because i don't know yeah so there's definitely two things that are happening this family is imploding upon itself yeah you get that the mom was if she was not leaving the dad she was cheating on him uh-huh. she was yeah. planning yeah. another relationship And she decided to reveal it the night that this storm hits. Like I said, the brother's kind of like the innocent one in this. Yeah. But Mel and her girlfriend Amy are casting this spell, which they found on Google. And guys, please do not try any spells that you get off of Google unless you're under the supervision of a Google sorcerer. I mean, you know, between this and our episode on hosts, like just (laughs) magic and the internet don't mix. Like, don't do it. Yeah. Straight up. Like, please don't do not hire a medium over the internet. Do not do internet spells. It's for your own good. (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) But yeah, so they get this spell off the internet. It's because... They were being bullied at school. Somebody was filming them being a queer couple. And she said that he made some deep fake porn about them, which gross. Yeah. Ew. I mean, the kid definitely deserved some retaliation. But they accidentally, maybe not accidentally, killed him. Amy did. Yeah. And I wonder that, too. If the magic was real, what was Amy's true intent there? Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe she... Because there's a part when Amy kind of reveals that she thought she was dead. She had Cotard delusion. She had this thing where she thought she was dead. And then she said she thinks she fixed it. But what really happened is maybe she awakened or maybe she holds something inside of her that's like a demon or magical that is currently dead. So she tells Mel, okay, we should silence this guy. But what ends up happening is they cause him to choke on, well, he chokes on his tongue and dies. Who knows if that's by their doing or just something that randomly happened. Although I don't think it's very common for people to choke on their tongues. I don't think so. Unless they're like having a seizure and they bite it off. I mean, who knows? But they cast the spell and then... It seems like they're trying to free Amy 
like free whatever's inside of her to get it out. So yeah. she's just her. And that's when things start to go kind of awry. And also, we never hear from Amy after that. Exactly. Mel, Mel like, texts her a bunch of times, but we never hear about her. Uh, she doesn't text her back. We see her in what we can only assume to be hallucinations. Yeah. And these hallucinations, too, we don't know. Are they caused by hunger? Are they really happening because everybody's in purgatory, so they're all kind of having these delusions. I wondered, too, about the snake. Like, was that even a delusion? Yeah. So all of it is kind of called into question. It's definitely a movie that is not very cut and dry. It doesn't give you all the answers. Which I like. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It keeps you on your toes. Mm -hmm. And it makes you pay attention to the quiet parts. Definitely. Because you're always questioning, is this a meaningful scene because it's emotional? Or is this a meaningful scene because it contains plot points that I need to carry with me throughout the rest of the movie? Right, right, yeah. So about snakes, I'm just going to go back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Do you think that the snake was a manifestation of something else? Or do you think that the snake was real? snakes or snake well i mean there's a question right there is it one snake is it multiple snakes i was like did they just have a rattlesnake nest in their tree yeah well so i wondered that i almost think the snake was some kind of manifestation because it didn't i mean and i know nothing about snakes so maybe rattlesnakes can live places other than the desert but it Mm -hmm. seemed like they lived in a rather well, I mean, you know, they were talking about tornadoes. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, hello, climate change. You know, <laughs> tornadoes can now happen in a lot of places where they couldn't before. But typically, you know, places like the Southwest don't get tornadoes like we do here in the Midwest or like exactly. you would in Kansas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. The sort of unusual nature of the snake being a rattlesnake makes me think that it was some kind of, that it wasn't just a snake that happened to weirdly slither in after its nest was disrupted by a tornado, that it was something more Mm -hmm. than that. It seems like it came in, it came in in terms of like entering the bathroom. Well, because the younger brother, he says that he can see a snake and they're like, no, you can't. Well, he sees the snake, and then it comes inside. And then the dad ends up getting it out with a plunger, which, I mean, I don't know how that would work exactly, but okay. And then eventually it comes back into the bathroom, and then they trap it. Yeah. But it seems like it comes in right at the time when, like, the tension is starting to peak between the dad and everybody else. And both times Mel sees it first, before anybody else. Yeah. I mean, the brother, he sees it initially from a distance, but Mm -hmm. when it actually enters the room both times, she sees it, perceives it, and then has to sort of alert everybody else and convince everybody else that the snake is here and is angry and is a threat. Yeah, so maybe she's manifesting it. Maybe, like, within the walls of the bathroom, she can manifest and change things so like maybe uh the brother did see the snake outside but maybe she is what drew it in that's possible 
Yeah. Because it seems like anytime there's something that kind of like breaches the boundary from outside to in, she's kind of the one that is either perceiving it first or like with the situation with a tongue. Yeah. She's the one who pulls the tongue inside. And we know that that's kind of a nod back to the original spell that they cast. She dug up their dog, which was buried next to the tree that ended up falling onto the house. Mm -hmm. So she dug up the dog, their family dog, which died and they buried in the backyard and then pulled its tongue out and use that for the spell. The spell was just supposed to shut this guy up. So they used the tongue and they wrote a message to, I think his name was Joe. Yeah. <laughs> and Amy was like, uh, <laughs> Mel said, I think his full name is Joseph. And she's like, I don't think it matters. And I was like, thinking back to our host episode, like, it definitely matters. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure does is the thing. <laughs> you should be specific. <laughs> because what if... What if the town that they lived in was called Joe? That I don't think that's the case, but you know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but snakes are at least traditionally tied to witches. They're yep. tied to demons and appearances of Satan, obviously the serpent in the Garden of Eden. So I thought that was a very strong metaphor to tie her to being a witch. Mel and Amy both. Absolutely, yeah. Especially the image of a serpent with a sort of quote unquote fallen woman mm-hmm. or evil woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strong imagery there for sure. Did you think that that is why the mom was having an affair was to tie kind of her and Mel together in that like fallen woman status? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. That and just the general sense that everyone in that house was seeking something outside Mm -hmm. of it because of the dad like even the little boy you could get the sense you know that the dad was such an oppressive presence that they were all sort of seeking something outside yeah away from him well the brother wanted eggs yep (laughs) (laughs) i mean he did want food yeah he did want food but I thought that the scene where the dad was trying to push the son out of the door was an oddly powerful scene. Yeah. Because right beforehand, he's talking to the son and he just keeps looking over at his mom, like looking for guidance or there are many times throughout the movie where he says, tell this person to like, tell Mel not to say that or tell Mel blah, blah, blah. Well, then the dad starts coming down on him and he turns to the mom like, help me. And the dad is like, no way. And so they try to push him through the door, but he can't breach the door because he's too, his head's too big. Yeah. I mean, that's it. There's only like maybe three or four inches, Mm -hmm. only enough for them to get their arm out, but not enough for them to like make any sort of meaningful movement outside of the bathroom. Yeah. That was, like, an oddly powerful moment for me was to see that kid, like, looking at his mom, like, please help me. I don't know what to do. Why is he acting like this? And for her not to be able to help him there for a while. Yeah. It was rough. Yeah. The little kid, he really gets the crap under the stick here. He really does. Yeah. Poor kid. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. But, like, to go back to the purgatory thing maybe he is the only one who gets to die and kind of exit this weird, torturous room that they're in because he was an innocent. 
Yeah. I think so. I mean, it's a hell of a way to go. It is. Because if you think, like, the dad... So the dad goes through, like, he gets alcohol poisoned because he's trying to drink rubbing alcohol, which will poison you. Yeah. He starts bleeding from his eyes because you will actually go blind from drinking isopropyl alcohol. Don't Please don't do that. Yeah. That's terrible. Don't do that. Ugh. It was rough to watch. But he also dies by snake bite. Well, he's going to die by snake bite. And then Mel stabs him to death. It didn't seem fair to me in terms of my justice complex. And I know that this movie is a lot more, how do you say it, cerebral than like saying, okay, this equals this, or this means that this will happen. But it didn't seem fair that the son and the father both were bitten by snakes and both had to kind of like have that torture happen to them, considering the son didn't really seem like he did anything or didn't, there was no like transgression. Right. Maybe it's all sort of a twisted test for Mel and her mom. That's a good point. I did think that at the end, like, they're the only survivors. Yeah. What does it mean that Mel, the witch, may be the one who started this and her mother are the only two alive at the end? Is it significant that they're both women? Right. Is it significant that it's mother and daughter, you know, fending for themselves in this bathroom and maybe they're going to get out, (laughs) maybe not. The movie leaves a very ambiguous ending, which I appreciate. Yeah, I like that, honestly. So I think, like, getting trapped in a a bathroom with a tornado tree was such a cool way to kind of quickly distill that, like, claustrophobic pandemic feeling. Yeah. Because it's not that I don't think that you could watch this movie outside of, you know, what we've gone through in the past two years, you totally could. But it was a very quick way. You don't have to take a lot of time to make everybody remember what it was like to be. And yeah, sure, the critics are like, oh, that doesn't really encapsulate it. It's not as, um, it's not as claustrophobic as it would really be. And I was like, I think that it's worse. Yeah, same, same. (laughs) Like being, I mean, at least in a house, you can kind of move across the house. You can at least put a little bit of space between you and another person, maybe go outside, you know, just stand on the front porch for, you know, for all intents and purposes. But these guys, they couldn't even open a window. They're all like breathing the same air. Like who knows if it's hot or cold or what the the weather situation is inside the, the bathroom. I thought it did a really, really good job of putting you right back in the middle of claustrophobic pandemic times without taking too long. Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the things I have always thought about a lot of sort of isolation films prior to the pandemic is I find them very, very claustrophobic. And I immediately am just like, I would freak out. And a lot of people that I've talked to about those movies are like, eh, I don't know, like, you know, maybe, but I'd probably be fine. But having gone through the pandemic, I'm hearing more and more people like, yeah, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plus, these folks don't have food. Yeah. They have access to water, but it's just, you know, tap water. There's no proper food. Let's put it that yeah. way. <laughs> Do you think it would have been worse to be locked in that bathroom and the door 
completely shut or locked in that bathroom and the door only able to open three inches? What do you think is worse? Oh, man. Um... Like, is the little glimpse of freedom without being able to get out worse than just being stuck? I mean, I think the little glimpse of freedom would be very painful in a lot of ways, but I'm a big proponent of fresh air. (laughs) And so I would want the door cracked just to get some air circulation in there because I think for me, that would be like the difference between being able to hang on a little longer and just like completely like hyperventilating within the first, you know, few hours of being (laughs) stuck in there. Like if I know there's air circulation, (laughs) um, I think I would be a little more comforted. But what about the snakes? Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) Fresh air, but snakes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think like, oh, fresh air, but like the neighborhood kitties could come in or the the woodland creatures or dogs or dogs (laughs) yeah (laughs) but then on the flip side or like wasps or you know spiders and stuff too so (laughs) Juliet's worried about spiders Uh, yeah it's spider season around here (laughs) what a huge spider in our house last night it was oh no did you save it or did you kill it I saved it because I'm nice yeah I have to. I also have to do that. Just get like a piece of paper and a little plastic cup and then just put it outside. Because you know, like, they're good. They they eat the bad bugs. Yeah, they do. So you have to save it. Don't want them jumping on me like this one last night was trying to do. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. I don't like being surprised by spiders. Yeah. If I know it, like, here is a box, there is a spider in it, I'd be like, okay, I'm down. Yeah. I can plan ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, hello, there's a spider. I see hello. its space. Hello, Mr. Spider. Yeah. Do I need to interact with you? No. But we'll say our greetings. That's yeah, plenty. It's fine. But if you surprise me, you might get accidentally smushed because yeah. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. I have a lot of hair and I'm really scared of a spider getting in my hair because there's a lot of it and I don't know... Like, that thing could be crawling around in there for a while, and that terrifies me. Welcome to riding a scooter 101. Oh, God. Uh, You just get bugs in all of the places. Oh, yeah. Like, you want to get a bug inside your shirt collar? That's it. Ride a scooter. (laughs) I digress. I have a a scooter, so I I don't even go that fast, and then bugs just collect in places. (laughs) It's fun. Okay, so speaking of dogs, there is a moment in the movie when it's dark outside, they hear something snuffling around. At first I thought it was going to be a bear, because I was like, oh, Oh, these people are in California. I'm like, oh, it's probably a black bear. But it's like snuffling around, and then they finally get it to come to the door, and it's a dog. And the brother is, okay. I'm going to link this together now. Okay. I got it. The brother puts his hands out and he's rubbing the dog and he can feel the dog. So I'm assuming he's like, oh, he's licking me. I'm assuming that at that point it was actually a dog because oh, the, brother, yeah, so. the brother is like, that's what he's manifesting outside the door yeah. is a dog. Well, then Mel is like, oh, there's a dog. So she's going to put her hand out because what are you going to do? Like, you've been stuck in this bathroom with your family you're like oh my god a thing like yeah. that exists outside the store i'm Dogs gonna rub it joy exactly well 
So Mel puts her hand out to rub the dog and they're like, who's a good boy? And then you hear this voice that's like, I'm a good boy. It's not like that. It's not like Batman. Apparently it was Ozzy Osbourne. Yes, I noticed that in the credits. (laughs) That's pretty funny. I don't know how they got him to do that, but cool. Props to them. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they were probably just able to get him to like ADR it. You know, because he didn't have to be there to shoot it. He could just record it at home. They're like, record it on your iPhone. Just send it to yeah, us. send it to us, Aussie. <laughs> and he was like, I'm not doing anything else. The Osbournes is done. <laughs> no, I don't know. Just hanging out. I don't have any idea what he's doing right now. So. No clue. 30 seconds of work total, like from start to finish. He probably got paid like $15,000 or something insane. But he says, I'm a good boy. And then, of course, they start freaking out. And whatever creature is on the other side of the door grabs Mel and is kind of like trying to tear her through the door. So I wonder if the little boy manifested a dog because he says, I think it's Spot. And they're all like, no, he's dead. But then Mel pulls the tongue out of this creature. And it's very reminiscent of the fact that they dug up the dog in the backyard right in the very same tree that was next to this buried dog is the one that had fallen into the house so i wonder if we're talking about manifesting things if the brother manifested their dog and then mel tainted that manifestation and is what that's what caused it to become some sort of like monster that was trying to rip her through the door. And that's why she had to grab the tongue and the tongue thing. Was it an actual dog? Do you think it was a dog? Do you think it was a demon? Was there actually anything out there? Was the tongue because they end, they end up eating it, which is just so grisly. Ingesting the tongue, I wonder if that, like, had some sort of effect on the family. Because things start to go, like, way downhill quickly after they do that. I even wondered if it wasn't something, like, really weird and screwed up where they were seeing a dog and it was, like, a person coming to rescue them. Yeah, exactly. So my first thought when I saw it the first time, I thought about that, um... It's an urban legend, creepypasta, scary story to tell in the dark thing where, like, the woman is scared because she's hearing noises outside of her house and she puts her hand down next to the bed and her dog is licking her hand and it it soothes her. And then the next morning she wakes up and notices that her dog's been outside all night and she finds a note that says, you know, people can lick too. And, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it made me... (laughs) That's what it made me think the first time until she, like, pulls the tongue through the door. I thought it was somebody, like, trying to mess with them. But now it's like, what actually was that outside the door? Was there anything? Yeah, that's a good question. That's actually a good segue into the next thing. They hear the voices outside Uh that seem like they're people who want to help. What do you think happened? Like, what was all that that happened when those voices came Well, I mean, to reinforce the whole, like, purgatory death thing, I thought it was really interesting that when the dad was talking to the person on the other side of the door, the person was saying, come toward me. And the dad was saying, I can't. I can't come towards you. I need you to come to me. And the person disappeared. And to me, I mean, as hackneyed as it sounds, I mean, like, come towards the light. 
versus come back to reality. You know, anybody that talks about the sort of typical near-death experience, you know, it's do you cling to earth? Do you come toward the light, which is presumably heaven? Do you go toward another darker, more sinister voice? So I took it as that, Mm -hmm. you know, that it was perhaps something toying with them. Interesting. I wasn't sure because there's a lot of loud noises and they mention gunfire. Uh Uh-huh. But you never see any guns. You never hear any, like, ricochets or bullets or anything like that. So just interesting to think, like, what is actually happening outside the door? Is everybody hearing the same thing? Or is it sort of like a mishmash of sounds Uh because everybody's hearing something different? Or maybe it's, like, some sort of eldritch horror and it's, like, dog so thought out there, like, (laughs) um, like, rending asunder and making people's heads explode or something like that. That'd be kind of cool, honestly. (laughs) Let's focus on Amy for a minute. Yeah. She gets the least amount of play in the movie, but she is maybe the most interesting character between her and Mel. Yeah, she's very interesting. Because she's complicated. Yep. There's a very small amount of time where they kind of like establish that She and Mel are kind of the outcasts. Like, Amy is more of like a hardcore goth, and Mel is kind of like a pastel goth. You know, they're girlfriends, and things get very intense very quickly, it seems, because Mel's hair doesn't grow at all (laughs) during this time. I mean, she could be cutting it, but anyways. There's a part where Amy... It's when they're doing the second spell, the Google spell. Mm-hmm. Um, they're both naked. They're, like, sitting in their salt circle. At least that part, like, they got the salt circle. Yeah, good good job, y'all. It, it didn't help. Right. don't do Google magic. Don't do magic. Google spells. Yeah. We cannot say this enough. <laughs> but there's a part where I think they have already, like, drawn blood on one another And there's a part where Amy leans in to Mel and whispers, you can't fix the inevitable. Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, what does Julia think about that? Oh, so many things. I mean, that's part of the reason why I wonder if it actually wasn't the spell at all, but that this family was already sort of doomed to this fate. Mm -hmm. It's debatable whether or not the Amy that Mel was in love with was Amy at all or was a demon the entire time. I tend to think perhaps she was some kind of demon or possessed or something given the weird I love you exchange. Mm -hmm. Or she was kind of cycling back and forth from being possessed. But um, that phrase in particular made me think, they didn't set this in motion. Like, this was already set in motion far before any of these spells were cast. Mm-hmm. And it was just sort of either Amy herself coming to the realization and sharing it with Mel because she cared about her, or the demon almost toying with her and saying, nothing you do will change any of this. Yeah. Because... If we kind of jump to the ending, so there's a bunch of weird things that happen. They're still trapped in the bathroom. Little brother dies. The dad, Mel, ends up killing him, stabbing him. Because, and this is another imagery I want to go back to. He is assaulting the mom. 
So she stabs him to death. He dies while Mel is asleep. And she says, what if we've always been here? What if there's nothing outside the bathroom? She's kind of passed out. The mom digs out of the bathroom wall, like chips the mortar in between the bricks of the tile of this bathroom and like carves herself a hole to get out. So she leaves and she comes back and she's covered in blood. And in the meantime, while she's gone, Mel has this hallucination of Amy in front of her where Amy says, I used to cut myself and her veins come out of her arms and her mouth and like link her to Mel. It's really weird. But I wonder if, like what you were saying, was whatever that was happening to them too big for whatever spell? Because it doesn't really seem like there would be a correlation to this releasing spell unless whatever was inside of Amy was like huge, like a big, crazy, like nasty, nasty demon entity, Satan, some sort of dark god, whatever. So it doesn't seem like the level of magnitude is the same. Yeah, it almost seems like whatever was in Amy, there was a storyline kind of like this in Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, where what was perceived as the threat was actually a very minor demon or evil spirit, almost like a trickster, and was like, okay, you got me, but you're not ready for what's about to come. And it was something much, much worse. It was like a whole season arc worth of worth of uh, big bads, as we say. And I almost wonder if it was that, you yeah. know, that whatever was hiding or festering inside of Amy was maybe not even a messenger, but was aware of what was already set into motion and was just kind of like, yeah, you think you're dealing with me and all this stuff, but just you wait because yeah. my buddy's coming and <laughs> it's not going to be good. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem like two gals getting Google spells could have done what happened. Yeah. Like, that seemed like some other earth-shaking stuff. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like there were other factors at play. And also because of the way the dad was acting, too. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the alcoholism aspect, certainly. And this is debatable, depending on your perspective. But I think that the way the dad acted was very interesting because I said to you, he's very Jack Torrance mm-hmm. from The Shining. It was one part alcoholism, and that was certainly fueling some of his behavior, you know, the desperation as he was rapidly detoxing. There was something else there, though, too. There was something that was, to me, and again, I just go back to Jack Torrance, was like keying in on an already troubled, troubling, abusive type of personality but pushing him further and sort of using that, using what was already there as an entry point for something very, very evil. And I'm I'm not saying that the dad was the evil mm-hmm. of this movie. I think it was beyond that. But I think he was being used as a tool for something else yeah. as well. He definitely specifically ratcheted up the yep. like tension in the bathroom. And kind of made it so that nobody else could think clearly. Like everybody's thinking was very clouded. The mom especially. Because I don't want to say that she was inept beforehand. But she didn't really spring into action 
until after the son died and after Mel killed the dad. Right. Like, then she sprang into action because she could have been looking for exits beforehand. She could have chipped away the mortar and the wall, but it was almost like she couldn't process. Like, yeah. She wasn't able to devote any of her thinking power into that. And that could also have been the brother. He was kind of taking a lot of her energy or taking a lot of her attention. But yeah. So what did you think about the scenes where people are ingesting things that come from outside the door, like snakes or (laughs) tongues? That was really interesting to me. I don't know. You could go with the whole religious allegory there. You know, like, what does it mean to ingest something rotting? uh, You know, almost a dark sacrament or something like that. There's also just sort of like dead things consuming dead things. Again, you know, if we keep going back to this whole purgatory thing, or almost even like... Oh, God, here we go. Uh, Almost even like if you want to talk about like Greek mythology and many mythologies, if you eat of the fruit of the underworld, then you're doomed to stay in the underworld. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, that's that's the Persephone story, among other stories. But that is uh, a big part of Greek mythology. If you eat something while you're in the underworld, then in some versions of the myth, the more you consume uh, both water, uh, certain waters and food, the more you become a part of the underworld. And for mortals, very specifically, Orpheus and Eurydice, the more you consume of the underworld, the more you forget and the Mm -hmm. more you lose your ties to your prior life and to your humanity and all of that. Yeah, I definitely thought that it was very specific that The entire family ate the tongue, but only the dad was talking about both eating the son. He was, like, obsessed with eating the flesh, which, I mean, if you were thinking clearly, he was bleeding from his eyes and he was blind because he had been drinking alcohol, like, rubbing alcohol. So clearly not in a good state of mind. But he was talking about eating the dead flesh of his son, who had died from a rattlesnake bite and had already been dead for a while. So... Mm -hmm. He was far past his prime. Like, you definitely shouldn't be eating his flesh. But then they knock over the trash can that's holding the snake, and he gets bitten by the snake, and then he tears the snake's head off. And then in a very interesting depiction of abuse, he whips his wife with the snake's body. And I thought, I was, I mean, it's completely lost on me because there's no way that I could peg where it came from. But I thought that that was really interesting imagery, specifically, that he was whipping her with a snake. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. both both the act of whipping somebody, because what a weird thing. He could have just knocked her over and started punching her, which would have been much easier. But also, he bit the head off the snake, and then he started whipping her with a snake. Very yeah. weird. I'm sure that there's something more going on there in terms of imagery, but... Very interesting choice. It definitely resonates as a strong image. You know, you have this crazed man whipping this, you know, again, if we talk about the fallen woman, you know, as portrayed in this movie, a fallen woman with a snake, like that's got (laughs) biblical imagery written all over it. Yeah. So 
The Cotard Delusion. Amy mentions this early in the movie. The Cotard Delusion is the, this is a very rare psychological condition that only like less than 200 people in the entire world experience. But it is the sincere belief that you are dead or you do not exist. And Amy mentions that she has it kind of earlier in the movie or that she had struggled with it or maybe thought she had it. It's also called the walking dead syndrome because the people think that either there are parts of their bodies that are missing or dead or that they are themselves entirely are dead or don't exist. Like that they are a figment of imagination and they don't exist. But we don't really see Amy struggle with that so much. You definitely see Mel struggling with that throughout the movie. Saying things like, what if there's nothing outside? What if we've always been here? So maybe, potentially, the entire thing is just a figment of Mel's imagination. Does she exist? Does she not exist? Does she only exist in this bathroom? Are the things that we see in terms of flashbacks outside the bathroom... Are those coping mechanisms for what's happening inside? Yeah, that's a really good question. Shruggy shoulder emoji. Yeah. I wonder, too, you know, this flashback scene pretty early on where Amy starts to devise that they need to do something because she and Mel are being bullied and threatened by that guy. I mean, Mel is beat up pretty badly. Mm Mm-hmm. Did she live? Yeah. Who knows, man? (laughs) It's crazy. Like, there's just so many, there's so many different storylines and and themes that are happening in this movie. It's almost hard to, like, focus on just one. Yeah. And by way of the fact that there are so many things happening in this movie, it's hard to know what you should concentrate on and hard to know, like, is this because of this or is this something that actually just kind of didn't go anywhere? Not necessarily in a bad way. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mean like, oh, well, that didn't go anywhere, so it didn't mean anything. But it's purposefully ambiguous. Yeah. So let's talk about that ending. I liked the ending. I can see where people wouldn't like it. I know that abrupt endings like that are controversial with viewers because some people really like the ambiguity of it all or deciding for themselves or having to think about it and mull it over themselves and other people really do want the filmmakers to choose the conclusion for their own story Mm -hmm. i like it i like it a lot (laughs) so It is abrupt. We kind of, you know, Mel's mom crawls back into the bathroom covered in blood. She's in a state of shock, repeating herself. And then all of a sudden, Mel and her mom both kind of cut to the hole in the wall and scream, like blood-curdling scream, and then immediately we go to credits. So you don't get the benefit of knowing what happened. It could have been somebody there to rescue them and they were just startled. Exactly. It could have been a monster. It could have been a witch. It could have been Amy because Mel says that she saw Amy in the hallucination where the veins, you know, come into her. And the mom says, I know. Is she saying I know because she knows that Amy's out there? Is she saying I know because she's just babbling because she has no idea what's going on? 
it's also a good tool of filmmaking because now they don't have to pay for a monster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just had a weird icky tongue that yeah. they had to make. So yeah. they didn't have to make a monster. And the monster that you see is never as scary as the monster that you make in your exactly. head. Exactly. Yeah. So although you might say it's unsatisfying that you don't know what it looks like, isn't it scarier to not know if there is, even is a monster? Absolutely. The terror is in what you don't see. Exactly. Yeah. Because you can make it anything. You can. Yeah. I mean, it could have been a monster. It could have been Amy attacking the mom or transforming into a demon that attacked the mom. It could have been, and I, because I didn't know it was going to cut off like that, I almost wondered if it wasn't something like the mom got out and accidentally attacked Amy, who was trying to lead people to help find them to rescue them. And Mm. like the mom was covered in Amy's blood because she had just attacked her and accidentally killed her or something. Yeah. It could be any of those things, and it could be none of those things, and they all have equal weight in terms of being disturbing or frightening. And because the end of the movie is messy, we don't know what the through lines of the rest of the movie are. Yeah. So it's not possible to tell, like, why does the mom come back covered in blood? It looks like somebody poured blood on top of her. Yeah. Or, like, she had to crawl through something. So we never figure out what that's all about. We don't know why she's in shock. We just know she's covered in blood. And somehow she knows Amy came to see her daughter. Also, what does it mean that she was able to leave the room and come back? Like, is she transformed? Is she changed? Is the mom even really the mom? All good questions. (laughs) So all that to say... It's sometimes okay to not have a nicely polished, wrapped up ending. Oh, yeah. Because it leaves the rest of the movie that much more open to interpretation. Should we talk about some of the stuff that we're doing soon? So before we leave you, we're going to tell you about some things that we're doing. And I also want to recommend a podcast because if you like this movie, one thing that stuck out to me is it reminded me in a way of this horror podcast that I love. It's a fiction podcast. It's called Mabel, as in the name Mabel. And it's written by Becca Della Rosa and Mabel Martin. And it is a very interesting, trippy, fictional, queer love horror story podcast. And if you liked this sort of ambiguity of this movie and the sort of figuring out as you go and the sort of one thing could mean everything or could mean nothing or you're not sure who is what and what is who, Mm -hmm. I highly recommend this story. And the love story is really interesting too, that love story in particular reminds me a lot of this movie. Oh, I'll have to check that out too. I'm not, (laughs) Juliet listens to a lot of podcasts. I watch a lot of TV. I need to watch less TV and listen to more podcasts. I should probably watch more TV, so it's all good. (laughs) We're fixing that. Yeah, One one show at a time. That's right. But exciting things to mention. We actually did a panel, which will be coming out in the first couple of weeks of April with the Slay Away podcast. We are talking cannibalism, friendship, 
Coming of Age and Tainted Love. Yes. With a group of great podcast hosts. It was an incredible conversation, but uh, we're really excited to share that with you, which I'm sure will be all over our social media because it was our first like big girl podcast (laughs) guest (laughs) spot. So very exciting on that. Also, definitely want to say thank you to our insane number of Twitter followers. We have like 1100 plus now or like 1120 something, which is over double since the last time we recorded. Yeah, which is hilarious uh, because we recorded the last one way ahead of time and we're like, oh, yay, we have this many. Yeah. And then by the time it came out, we had many more. So thank you, all of you. Yes, we're very humbled by the amount of people who actually want to listen to what we have to say. <laughs> what else do we have coming up? Our next movie is going to be Scream, finally, at long last. That'll be our next episode. And I will simply say, in addition to that, watch your feeds in the next couple of weeks, because we might have uh, something a little special for you. And I'll leave it at that. So if you haven't already subscribed, this is the perfect opportunity to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss anything extra or special or additional. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, rate and review us while you're there, please. And thank you. It will help more people find the show. Yes, thank you. Also, the special stuff is going to be extra special. So make sure you follow. Extra (laughs) special. Thanks for listening to Attack of the Final Girls. Find us online at attackofthefinalgirls.com, Attack of the Final Girls on Instagram and on Twitter at Final Girls Pod. Our theme music is by House Ghost and available on Rad Girlfriend Records. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And tell your friends about us. I'm Julia. And I'm Teresa. Until next time, stay scary. Stay scary.